Amen. Amen. Good to see all of you this morning and looking forward to an exciting year. Both personally, I'm looking forward to an exciting year, and as a church, I'm looking forward to an exciting year as well. As we begin a new year, we're going to begin a new study today in the book of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever, and you want to follow along, 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. While you're turning there and finding that, just a reminder that we have one more Tuesday off from refuel. We will start refuel our Tuesday night Bible study back up on Tuesday, January the 14th. And that meets over in the cafeteria at 7 o'clock. And we will begin the new year with a new study in the book of Revelation that I'm really looking forward to as well. I have just found over the years that To me, the best way to learn the Word of God is to study it book by book. And so that's why we teach the way we do here at the Oasis. That's why we teach through books of the Bible, keeping the Word of God in its context, not taking it out of its context, in order to really understand the true intent that God had when He placed these words in the book. So today... I'm excited as I always am about new series, but this is an exciting series for me for several reasons. One, I can very much identify with Peter. He's one of my sort of favorite Bible characters. And so when he writes something, that's something that I gravitate towards and pay attention to. It's obviously two letters that I go back to quite often in my own personal reading and study is first and second Peter. Unlike 2 Peter, though, that was written by Peter for a specific reason or to address a specific problem in the church, 1 Peter is sort of a general overview. In other words, what makes 1 Peter such a great book is that it's like getting this letter from Peter towards the end of his Christian life about what he's learned in his Christian life. And what he wants to pass on to other Christians down through generations about what his spiritual growth looked like and what he learned and how he grew as a believer and what to look for and what to beware of and all that. So to me, it's just such an incredible letter from someone so close to Christ himself. But secondly, because... First Peter does deal a lot with how do we, how do we look at trials in our life as, as Christians? How do, we, how do we view that? What is our perspective? What is our mindset when it comes to trials and suffering? First Peter is certainly uh, head and shoulders above most other books in the Bible in helping us to navigate that specific thing in our lives as well. In fact, Someone once said that if you or I as a Christian were stranded on a desert island by ourselves and we could choose to take one book of the Bible out of all 66 books, one book of the Bible with us to that desert island that First Peter 
should and would be that book for us because it would allow us to understand in a great way, you know, what happens to us, why does it happen, and how can we keep our heads sort of above the water of life and not allow life and all the things that happen to us, ups and downs, trials, pain, and all that, to get the better of us. First Peter would certainly fit into that. So I hope that you will enjoy First Peter as much as I have enjoyed preparing for this, this study on Sunday mornings. And in fact, uh, we were going to get through a lot more verses. As I got into this, I'm like, you know what? There's just too much good stuff. We are slowing down and we're just taking this a couple verses at a time. So hope you don't mind, but we're probably going to be in First Peter for a little bit of time at the beginning of 2014. I just want to read the first couple of verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter writes, from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those temporarily residing abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, the province of Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by being set apart by the Spirit for obedience And for sprinkling with Jesus Christ's blood, may grace and peace be yours in full measure. And then if you'll just go over to chapter 5 for a moment, the very last chapter, to the last couple of verses, verses 12, 13, and 14, where Peter writes, Through Silvanus, the one who would deliver this letter, whom I know to be a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, In order to encourage you and to testify that what I am writing about, this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. The church in Babylon, chosen together with you, greets you. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a loving kiss. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. In the first couple of verses of 1 Peter... Peter goes into really helping us as Christians be mindful of our identity in Christ. Who are we? In a sense, that's what human beings try to figure out throughout their life. Who am I? Why am I here? What what is my purpose? And, And so Peter wants Christians to sort of walk through those questions as well. And he wants to give us some answers to that because the understanding of who we really are and our identity is going to be key in helping us to navigate life. And especially when trials and suffering and ups and downs and all of that and twists and turns come. And so that's why I think Peter starts out this book simply sharing with us who he is, who he understands himself to be. But from that, I want you to see that we can, we can gain a lot of information about who we are from what Peter shares. We may not specifically be called to the same role and responsibility that Peter had. But based upon Peter's own experience, we can begin to apply a lot of the same things that Peter shares with us to us as well. In fact, 
even as he starts out here by mentioning his name, Peter, which means a stone. Let's remember that this was a name that Jesus Christ gave to Peter. He said, Simon, you are going to become Peter. And, and what Jesus was reminding Peter and reminding all of us of is that when he comes into a life and we begin to surrender our lives to him and we begin to walk with him, God wants to transform us into who he created us to be. And he always saw in Peter the potential that he placed there that Peter could be this, this rock, this firm-like Rock, this stone that had such surety and stability and strength. Because when you think of a rock, that's what you think about. Something that's firm, that's stable, that's immovable, that's constant. And Jesus says, that's who I envision you to be, Peter. Can I say today that I think that's who God wants all of us to be? Not maybe specifically just like Peter, but God does want his people to be rock-like. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to be stable. He wants us to be sure. He wants us to be immovable in him. And so we even learn that that's what God wants to do in our lives as well. He wants to take us from when he met us, like he did Simon. And he wants to build into us this rock-like firmness that can stand up to all the onslaughts of the enemy and, and everything that's swirling around us. And though the storms of life may even come, that we are standing strong in Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus was even saying to his own followers when he says, if you build your life on me and my sayings, even when the storms of life come, what happens is your structure will stand because you build it on a strong foundation and you are strong and you are sure and you are immovable because you have allowed me to build you into that rock-like being that I want all of my children to be. This coming year, how do we see that playing out in our life? How can we let God build us into more of that stable, rock-like, firm person rather than one that's carried about by every wind of doctrine And who is so restless and unstable and going here and going there instead of just firm. And we realize, don't we, when we start to think about Peter and his life and his walk, that obviously he wasn't always this way. This was something that God progressively built into his life. Because throughout even his journey of walking with Jesus on this earth, there were times early on where Peter Peter was very not rock-like and firm. I mean, obviously, one of the things that comes to all of our minds probably is when he denied the Lord. Lord, I I won't deny you. I'm a rock. You know, when the pressure starts to come, I'll be right there. And Peter crumbled because he wasn't the rock yet. He wasn't firmed up yet. He wasn't strong enough within through his walk with God and his relationship with God, to be able to take on that pressure and not crumble. And yet Jesus always saw 
the potential in Peter and he sees that in us. And all he wants to say to us is, let me build that kind of inner strength into you as well. So that no matter what forces come upon you from outside, you will be able to hold up because I have built into you that kind of strength. And Peter also realized, as he's going to share with us throughout this letter, that one of the things he had to learn was he he couldn't do this on his own. He had to learn to lean on God, to depend upon God, to rely on God to do it through him. That that he couldn't just face it on his own or else he would never, ever be able to stand up. And so I think one of the messages God is going to say to us today and at the beginning of this new year is, friend, child of mine, don't continue to try to do this on your own. Learn this year more than ever to rely and depend upon me. And you'll begin to see me be able to do so much through you that you never dreamed of and never knew even existed within you, just like Peter. Peter also calls himself an apostle. And certainly in the strictest, most technical sense, we're not apostles, but The word apostle simply means a personal representative of another who's sent on a mission. And so in that sense, we begin to also see our identity as well. Because it's very similar to what Paul said about all Christians in 2 Corinthians 5.20 when he said, we are all, as Christians, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Privileged representatives. And so we have to also understand that not only is our identity tied up in God building into our life this inner strength, but we must remember that as believers, as those who carry the name of Christ, Christians, those who profess to know Christ, that we must realize that everywhere we go, everyone we come in contact with, do we remind ourselves, are we reminded that We are a privileged personal representative of Jesus Christ to everyone. We are his ambassadors. We are, again, not in the technical strict sense, but we are apostles because God sends us out into the world to be his representatives, to represent him before others. And it is a privilege to do so. That's what Peter was sharing With his audience. Before he ever got into sort of the other things. He wants to remind all of us about who we are. So that we're reminded every day when we wake up. God wants to make me strong. He wants to make me a rock. That God considers me an ambassador for him. A privileged personal representative of him. Everywhere I go. And I need to realize that I live with purpose every day. I am on a mission every day. Because every day I step out of my house and I go out into the world. No matter who I come in contact with. Who I see. Who I interact with. I'm a personal privileged representative of Jesus Christ. From Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those temporarily residing abroad. Let's break this down. First of all, he reminds all of us that we are temporary residents. We are sojourners. 
We are pilgrims. We are passing through that this earth and what happens to us on earth and what happens on earth is temporary. We are here, folks, for a very brief, short time compared to eternity. Even if you and I would live to be a hundred years old, which even in our day and age would obviously be on the upper end of life expectancy. Take 100 physical human years and put eternity on the other side. There's not any kind of comparison. And Peter wants to remind us, one of the, one of the things we've got to keep in mind is who we are. And who we are is tied up in the fact that this earth and our life on this earth is very brief. It's very short. As James says, we're a vapor that our life appears for a very short time and then we vanish away because this isn't what it's all about. Eternity is what it's all about. And our citizenship is not of this earth. Paul says in Philippians 3.20 to Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, he's saying to us, our identity should be tied up in the fact that, that we hold very loosely the things of earth. And we hold and grip very tightly eternal things. Because we're temporary residents. No matter when we've been born. No matter where we live as Christians. We must always remember every day we wake up that this earth is not what I'm supposed to be focusing on. I'm supposed to be focusing on eternity because I'm temporary here. This really isn't my home. My home and my citizenship is in heaven, which is why he also says we are temporary residents. The word resident means alien or foreigner. In other words, he's also reminding us as Christians that we shouldn't feel very comfortable down here on this planet because we, in a sense, are in a conflict spiritually and we have been placed in enemy territory. And that's why what happens on earth and all of that should not fit in with us, we should not fit in with what's happening on earth because earth is under another system that is opposed to God. And therefore, God reminds all of us, folks, remember, you are on foreign soil. You are a stranger here. You never will, if you are living for Christ, feel like you and what you believe and how you think and your philosophy of life is going to fit in with the rest of the world. Because that's not who we are. Because again, this earth is not what it's all about. We are on our way to our real home, which is heaven. And our real focus, instead of being the things of the earth, should be the things of eternity. Because we're temporary residents. See, when we begin to understand who we really are, it can really help in our perspective on life and, and the choices and decisions that we make. 
But we've got to keep reminding ourselves who we are. And then Peter goes on to say that these temporary residents are scattered abroad, living abroad. Literally, the word means in the Greek that we've been sown in different places by God. We've been scattered. We've been dispersed. Because God doesn't want his people to all be living in one area and not be able to spread out the witness of him in every place. That's why he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's why he tells us we are ambassadors. That's why even as a church, even here, when we come together locally, which we are commanded to do, to meet together, which is all the more important because we are scattered out there in our community. We need to come together to, to remind ourselves that we're not out there all alone. To mutually encourage each other. But the rest of the week, he does disperse us. Because he wants every community, every neighborhood, every place of business, every school, everywhere that we spread out to have a witness of Jesus Christ. Personal privileged representatives everywhere. So he literally sows us in different places so that he can be seen through our lives. So that others can have some type of a witness. That's what God does. He sows us in certain places. This is also a very important concept when it comes to us being part of even a local body. That God sows us into a local body and we better make sure that before we extract ourselves out of that local body, that it is God sowing us somewhere else rather than us picking ourselves up because God takes very seriously that he calls us and sows us into certain bodies. Because he understands the gifts, talents, abilities that we all possess. And he wants to bring a group of people together to meet locally who can complement each other. And he's the one that builds the church. And he's the one that calls people in to be part of a church fellowship. And he literally sows us in to one another. This is who we are. And this should give us great confidence as we face a new year and as we deal with life. God wants to make us strong. We are personal representatives of him. We're just temporary residents who are strangers and we're just passing through on our way to our real home. And we're foreigners down here. This is not... To be comfortable for us. We're not to totally fit in down here. Because this world and the way this world operates is not under the submission to God. This world is really under the control of Satan. And so we're living in enemy territory. Notice he goes on to say, after he shares all the places that these believers were scattered or dispersed, 
He then reminds us at the end of verse 1, we are chosen. This word means to be selected to distinction. Don't let the word mess you up. It simply means that God has selected us out to be distinct. Going along with what Peter's already tried to tell us. That we should not be like everyone else. That our lives should be distinct from those who don't know God. That there should be a difference between the way we live and how we look at life and how we look at things and what our priorities are and all of that compared to someone who doesn't know God. God selected us to be distinct people, a people of his own. In fact, Peter talks about this in the next chapter when we get to it. Listen to these words of chapter 2, verse 9, where Peter says to Christians, We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you and I may proclaim the virtues of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Distinct. That's again who we are to be. A distinctive lifestyle set apart from others. And then in verse 2, he says this selection for distinction is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. An important point. The word foreknowledge in the Greek language doesn't mean just to know ahead of time. Obviously, God knows everything ahead of time. This word, though, goes beyond just knowing ahead of time. It means also one who came up with a predetermined plan based on knowing ahead of time. So in other words, when we think about God's foreknowledge, we've got to go beyond the fact that God just knew things were going to happen before they happened. But that God also set in place, even before he created everything, a predetermined plan of how he wanted things to go. And he even set that plan up knowing ahead of time that man would fall. That's why the Bible says, even before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ was going to be the Lamb of God that was going to come and take care of the sin problem. Because God always had a predetermined plan. Nothing that ever has happened in human history ever took God off guard. But God always had a predetermined plan of how to deal with it. And how to bring men and women back to Him. And how to restore the image of God in us. God always had that taken care of. And so don't ever get the picture of God that like somehow God's up there and, and things are happening. He's like, oh my goodness, like reacting like we do. Or like men do, or like governments do, or like anything does, where it's like, oh my goodness, okay, this has happened, okay, now we got to figure out how to do, no. See, God's taking care of all this ahead of time. God's not up there on the throne of the universe, wringing his hands, going, oh my goodness, I didn't see this coming. 
And so that should give all of us encouragement and comfort because God knows exactly what's going to happen to each of us in 2014. And nothing that happens to us is going to catch him off guard. God is simply, though, saying to us, if you follow me in this year, if you look to me in this year, if you depend on me in this year and you walk with me in this year, I'm going to get you through whatever comes in 2014. Because I knew it was coming before you knew it was coming. And part of the reason why I want to build into your life the things that I want to build into you is so you'll be prepared when those things come. See, this is, this is why Peter starts out the way he does. Before he really even gets into the nitty gritty of what he really wants to share with us, he says, we got to go back and remind ourselves of who we are and who God created us to be. And then he goes on to say, so we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by being set apart, sanctified. The word means to be consecrated or dedicated. It means to live as the designer intended for us to live. That's what it means. To begin to live life as the designer, the creator, the one who started it all including us, intended for us to live. See, that's why we need to encourage people to get connected to God and have a personal relationship with God. Because we're, we're very short-sighted if we just limit it to forgiveness of sins and a ticket to heaven, which is what many evangelists and many Christians just limit the whole talk of being born again and salvation to. No, no, no. Salvation is so much bigger than that, so much greater than that. Salvation at its core is restoring in human beings the image of God that he created us in that was marred and scarred through the fall of sin. And he wants to help us even now as even fallen sinners who've been saved by grace to begin to live life as he designed it to be. And it's possible, but it's only possible through Jesus Christ. But that's what set apart means. But notice again that Peter is saying, because I think he learned the hard way, guys, the only way we can live as a designer intended us to live, notice these next three very important words in verse 2, By the Spirit. It's by learning as a Christian to walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God who lives inside of us as believers control our lives and allow the Spirit to lead and direct and guide and strengthen and all of that. That's why God gave us His Spirit. Because the only way we can live the way God designed us to live is by the power of His Spirit. Not by might, not by power humanly, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Maybe this year, one of the breakthroughs in your life will be what to, to learn to walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit more than you ever have. And even to know what, what does that mean? Because a lot of Christians are like, I have no clue what that means. We're going to talk more about that if you're looking for more of it. Hopefully we can help with that. But know this, that At its core, what it really means is to just live every day depending on God, relying on God, leaning on God, and not doing it on my own. 
Think of it that way. Humbling myself and saying, God, I can't do this by myself. I need you. And see, again, Peter learned this lesson the hard way. Because Peter was out there. Human being. Miracle. Supernatural living. Walking on water. As long as he kept his eyes on Christ. When he took his eyes off Christ and tried to walk on water on his own, didn't work so well, did it? Because Jesus wanted to teach him as well as all of us, if you look to me and you rely and depend on me, I can do supernatural things in and through your life. Think about the denials. God, I got this. I won't deny you. I'm strong enough in myself. When the pressure comes, I'll stand up for you. No, he didn't. Because at that time in his life, he had not learned how important it was to depend and rely on God to do for him what he could never do on his own. That's all the while, while Jesus said the night before when they were all in the garden, disciples, Watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. Jesus was trying to warn them and teach them, you better be on your knees because what you're about to face, you will never be able to stand up to on your own. So make sure that you spend time with God and that you are spiritually being strengthened and that you're allowing God to do this and you're not trying to do this on your own. Because if you do it on your own, you'll fail. And Peter said, no, I got this, God. I can do this on my own. And he failed miserably. No wonder Peter then wrote, you and I want to live as the designer intended us to live. We've got to learn to do it by the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, here's another part of our identity. God designed us to be obedient. Wow. That was part of God's predetermined plan. Part of his plan was never, I'm going to create through being born again, through spiritual rebirth, a group of people who claim to know me who are disobedient. That was never part of God's plan. It has always been part of God's plan ever since the foundation of the world for those who call on him by name, who know him. To be obedient. By the way, the word obedient here means compliant, submissive, yielding to another. That's what it means to be obedient. In other words, rubber meets the road. I want to do this. God wants me to do this. Obedience will choose. To yield to what God wants me to do rather than what I want to do. And Peter's saying, you realize, this is who we are to be. We are to be an obedient people. A people who are known for their obedience to God. Jesus even said, if you love me, you'll do what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, then you'll obey me. Obedience is built in. To who we are to be as believers in Jesus Christ. And then he adds too, and sprinkling with Jesus Christ's blood. He takes us back to the sacrificial system. 
And he's simply saying that we all need to also be reminded that our identity is wrapped up in the perfect sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the reason that we even have a relationship with God, the reason we even have fellowship with God, that we have access to God is because Jesus Christ laid down his life. And we have what we have through his provision, not through our works, not through anything that we could do. That we stand in a great standing with God and we have peace with God, Paul says to the Romans, because of Christ. Because of what he did that we're trusting in, not what we are doing or what we've done. So he wants us to be always reminding ourselves of that. Now, he doesn't want us to back down at that. He wants us to stand as he says at the end of this book, in that grace, and don't let anybody pull you out of that standing, stand in grace. Be confident that your standing isn't based on our goodness. It's based on his grace. And that's why we can stand. Because it's not based on our performance, folks. It's based on his undeserved favor. And there are some Christians that never get this concept. They think in order to grow and to become more like God, I got to focus on me and all my failings and all my sin and how awful. God says, no, you'll never get there focusing on that. You and I become who we were created and designed to become by focusing on his grace. Paul even said, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. Again, not because we deserve it. But God doesn't want us to focus on something that he doesn't focus on. Does God focus on our sin and how bad we are? I don't think so. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Bible says he throws our sin into the depth of the sea. He remembers it no more. He's not the one that throws our sin up in our face. Actually, it's Satan, our accuser, who's always throwing our sin up in our face. Because God understands what we need to understand is if we're going to stand and we're going to grow and we're going to make progress in our walk with him, we stand and we grow in grace. Are you there, my friend, today? Which is why then he ends these two verses with these words. May grace and peace be yours in full measure. The words full measure mean to be multiplied or to increase. So in other words, Peter is asking for what his readers are reading. That that the grace and peace, especially from God, would just continue to increase and grow in their lives. Let's define these terms as we wrap this up this morning. Grace. Several different ways to look at this, but as we end this message today, I want you to look at it this way. God's grace is a great way to sum up God's provision and resources. So what Peter is saying to all of us is, may you realize what God provides. May you realize the resources that you have in Christ Through the Spirit, by God the Father. Did you notice all three of the Trinity were mentioned in the very first couple of verses of 1 Peter? God the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus Christ. All mentioned there. 
And Peter is saying, Christian, know your identity. Know the grace that you have in your life. Know what has been provided and what are your resources. Because again, one of the reasons why some Christians live life by themselves, on their own, doing it their way, is because they don't even realize the riches and the wealth and the abundance of what God has provided for them. So one of the reasons why God wants his people to get into his word and begin to grow and understand it more is the more we get into the word, the more we realize, oh my goodness, this is what God has given me? This is what I have to deal with life and navigate life and stand up to the trials and the pain and suffering that life will bring? No wonder I can live as a victor instead of a victim. Because I have his grace. And in his grace, if I stand, there's nothing that I can't handle. Nothing. That's why God told Paul, I'm not going to take your thorn in the flesh away from you. Because my grace is sufficient. My provision, my resources in your life is sufficient for you to deal with that thorn for the rest of your life. Because my grace can help you and any other believer rise above whatever life brings. Grace. Are you tapping into his grace? Is it increasing and multiplying in your life? I usually don't recommend books from the stage because that can be a very dangerous thing. Because I don't ever agree with 100% of what any author says. Okay, no matter how solid they are, we have to be discerning. We have to compare scripture with scripture. But a book that I think would be a great book for you to devour if you've never read it is a book by a man named Chuck Swindoll, and the book is called Grace Awakening. Good book. Read it if you have a few minutes. And then Peter says, peace. See, peace, the reason it comes after grace, is because peace is the result, if you will, of applying and appropriating God's provision and resources. I will never have the peace that passes all understanding. I will never experience the serenity and the tranquility of mind that God designed for His people to have if I never humble myself and live by grace and appropriate His resources and His provision. If I try to do it on my own, I will never be at peace. I'll be scattered. I'll be in pieces. Because the Greek concept of peace is wholeness and oneness. That's why when people aren't at peace, you know, they'll say things like, oh, I'm all over the place and and I'm, my, my mind's in a hundred different directions. And my life is gone here and gone there. And the reason they have no peace is because they're all, you know, this piece of them's over here and this piece of them's over here. And see, God created us to be whole and to be one, which is why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
Let your energy and your focus all be there. And Jesus says, and all those other things that's got your mind and your will and your desires and your passions and even your body going in all these different directions, they'll take care of themselves if you just center yourself in me. That's how peace comes. And that kind of peace that Peter is asking to come in greater measure for every believer, though, again, can only come when we begin to apply and appropriate the grace of God. Which is why you will always see, whether it's Paul or Peter or some other author in the Bible, you will always see peace coming after grace. And isn't it interesting if you just go back over to chapter 5 for a moment, and those last verses we looked at, That this is such an important concept that Peter wanted his readers to get. That he mentions these both again at the very end, just like he did at the beginning. When he writes, Through Silvanus, whom I know to be a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you. And testify that this that I'm talking to you about, this is the true grace of God. This is the provision God has given. These are the resources God has given. Stand fast in it. By the way, those words are a military term. They were used of people who were in combat, who were being heavily attacked and assaulted. And so Peter is saying to us as Christians, know this Christian... You throughout your life will be attacked to move out of the area of grace. You will be constantly bombarded to get out of grace and start working and doing instead of resting in God's grace and relying on His grace. And that's why Peter says, no matter how heavily bombarded, no matter how much you are attacked, no matter how much people and other things put pressure on you, you hold fast. It literally was a term that was directed to soldiers to hold a critical position on the battlefield in spite of the fact that they were being heavily assaulted. Peter says, hold your ground, Christian. Hold that position because it's going to be the only position that gets you through. And then he says at the very end, Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. In the first two verses of this great letter, Peter begins to remind us of who we are. What our identity is. Because Peter has come to learn through his own experience how he failed when he didn't know who he was. And when he began to thrive and see victory, when he really understood who he was. He failed when he tried to do it on his own. But he began to conquer and overcome when he did it by relying and depending on Jesus to do it through him. These are the things Peter wants to share with us in the coming weeks. Hope you'll come back next Sunday as we talk about our living hope beginning in verse 3. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are everything we we will ever need, everything we would ever want is all wrapped up in you. 
And yet God, many times, even as people who claim to have a relationship with you or confess you by name, if we honestly looked at our lives and if other people evaluated our lives, they would probably say, man, they're, they're falling to pieces. There's no peace in their life. They're not serene. There's no tranquility in their lives. They're running here and they're running there and their minds here and their minds there and they're being carried about by this and that and they're being driven by this and driven by that instead of being led by the Spirit of God. God, may we, through the words of Peter today, who wants to write these to encourage us, he wants to come alongside of us and give us courage and strength and comfort to do what God wants us to do. And he's going to put his arm around us in the coming weeks and say, child of God, come with me. This is the way to do this. Follow me as I follow Christ. So God, help us to take these words of Peter, your words, and apply them to our life. Help us to see, Lord, that in you is all that we need. You are our all in all. May we focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen.